Brothers and sisters, have you ever uh, had one of those uh, Sunday morning worship experiences where you, uh, where you're sitting there worshiping and you notice that one of your friends that normally sits near you is not there. Uh, and you know a little bit about what's going on in their lives. And, and, and during the worship service, you're so overwhelmed with the, the presence and the beauty of the Holy Spirit that you just wish that you could go knock on their door and rush them to worship so that they could experience God's very real presence and hear from his word uh, that very message that you had that day. Like you're thinking to yourself, man, if Scott was just here, if Malcolm was just here, I would, I, would, I would love if I could just rush them over here. You have that opportunity today. I want you to know that as we've been worshiping in here, the Holy Spirit has been uh, just incredibly present, and I've been blessed by our worship this morning. And uh, if you've had that same experience, I hope that you will knock on the door of your friends that you would share this worship link, and, and uh, as you do, know that you're, you're bringing them. You're knocking on their door and bringing them, ushering them into worship. What a gift that is that we could do that right now in this space and time. So uh, as you do that, we're going to turn, brothers and sisters, to God's word for us in uh, this, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinth church, uh, 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 12. Uh, we're going to read beginning in verse 5 and then following on through verse 10. I hope that you'll turn with me there in, in the Bibles in your homes. If not, you can follow along also with the words on the screen as we together hear from the word of the Lord. Paul writes, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming succeed, conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded to the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's word for you, for all of us this morning, offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Almighty God, we come before you thankful for your word, for the wisdom contained there, and God, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then we ask, oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would then go out into the world and offer grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I find it interesting that two weeks in a row we find Paul in the same situation. He's uh, writing a letter to a church in the same kerfluffle. 
You have, uh, you have the church of Galatia last week, and he writes in verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, about the, 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 the challenges that the false apostles, the false teachers are bringing into the community, and they're causing all sorts of chaos and to- uh, turmoil. And here we find the same thing happening in Corinth. Uh, a kerfluffle between the church and the false uh, and the false prophets, and them trying to re- recognize where is it that they rest between these false teachers and Paul. And so Paul inserts himself. He he he's not one to back down from a kerfluffle. He comes straight into it and steps in and says, "I have a word to offer there." But but he has a tendency, whenever he enters in there, to <laughs> he he has a tendency to. To go credential uh, justifying. He sets up his credentials and presents them in a way that, that, that says, hey, you're, you're trying to listen to these other folks, but, but pay attention. Don't forget. Don't forget who I am and my relationship to you and, and what I've taught you and, and how I rest uh, on, on my teachings and that, that those come from the Lord God Almighty. He does that kind of credential valuing. It's... It reminds me of the movie Doctor Strange. Uh, you remember as Doctor Strange is, is building more and more capacity and, and he defends the New York sanctum uh, from, uh, uh, from attack and then uh, the ancient one comes in and says, you defended the New York sanctum, now you shall be known as Master Strange. And he gets all sorts of twisted about that. Master? I don't want to be a master. I'm not a master. I'm not a mister. I am Doctor Strange. I work for that. I'm credentialed in that. That's, that, 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 that's how I place uh, my status before you. I'm a doctor. I'm not a master. He really has value for that identity being bound up in his credentials. It's, it's like those moments where, uh, where, where uh, we imagine what it's like to be an Aggie. Have you ever done that if you're not one? Uh, uh, you've seen an Aggie uh, walking around with, uh, with their uh, ring on, uh, and you imagine that scenario where an Aggie is, is going for a job interview, and they did their due diligence, they searched their LinkedIn profiles of all the people that would be interviewing them, and they noticed that there were going to be some Aggies there on the other side of the table. So they dust off their Aggie ring that's stuck in a drawer somewhere, and they put it on, and they wear it proudly, and they walk into the interview. And, and it's like in, in that moment uh, at the interview, uh, they, they don't really worry about what they're saying, they just worry to be sure that uh, the opposite side of the table sees the ring, right? And uh, what's your name? What's your credentials? Uh, why do you want this job, right? You just are holding the ring out. And, and then when they notice the ring, uh, it's like silent code. I wish I, I wish I spoke this language. It's like class of 98, class of 2002, Dixie Chicken, where else? How quick? 45 seconds. I got you, 38. Right, like, like it's, it's, it's this code that's all around this, this ring uh, that, that symbolizes this layer of credential that, that, that I have achieved this certain thing, and so I present it to you as the reason why you should listen to me or hire me. Uh, and Paul does that as well. Paul has this, this thing about his credentials. He gives it to us a couple of different times in a couple of different ways, and, and he's always really careful when he does it. 
uh, in, in, in this Corinth argument that he is entering into, uh, he does it in chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read from it beginning in uh, verse 23 so that we could hear uh, what, what is presented uh, by Paul to the church. He lays it out in this way. He says, uh, are they these other false teachers? Are they servants of Christ? And then he, he kind of qualifies this, and he, and he, and he names how, how uh, he hates to have to credential. He hates, he hates to have to Aggie ring the situation. He says, I am out of my mind to talk like this. And then he says, I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. He goes on to say, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten by rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've often known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Paul lifts up for the church in Corinth his credentials in suffering. He wants them to be able to, to acknowledge that when they're taking the two teachings in balance, they need to take account for all that he has been through and the sufferings he has endured for Jesus. He lists it by generally, I've been exposed to death over and over and over again and do so willingly. I don't shy away from the, the threat of death. I lean into it because of Jesus. And then he goes through the list of, of, of numbers, right? Uh, he says, uh, three times rods, once stones, five times lashes, and just kind of lays it out. Can you imagine? Like one of those would seem like enough of a justification to be a credential of his suffering and his commitment to Christ. Five times lashes, 40 minus one. Three times rods, one time stoning. We, we have the account of stoning. The people that stoned him actually thought they had been successful and stoned him to death. And yet, the Lord preserved his life, and he entered back into that same city to testify to the good news of Jesus. But it's not just the, the account for those numbers. Then he, he lists the dangers that he faces. I'm sure you, you caught that because he repeats the word dangers eight times. He, he doesn't shy away from it. He leans into it. Danger from... Rivers and bandits and Jews and Gentiles in cities and country and sea and even, he doesn't miss this moment, even now, danger from false teachers. You know, false teachers like, like are, are now in Corinth that are, uh, that are working to convince the people of God to enslave themselves to the law like they were doing in Galatia. And, and Paul says, no. 
Paul says, no, Paul says, I'm going to lay my credentials before you so that you can grasp what this opportunity uh, that's before you looks like. There is a choice to be made. Uh, you're either going to choose to align yourself with these false teachers and, 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 and place your hope in your slavery to the law and, and, and reject the freedom you have in Christ, or you're going to, to affirm that that freedom was paid by a price through Jesus Christ, and I carried that gift to you, and you're going to receive the gospel as I articulated it to you and affirm it yet again. The choice is yours. It's before you. And so Paul lays his credentials of suffering as evidence that he is bringing something that is trustworthy and true to them. But Paul is, is humble, uh, or he, he attempts to be humble, every time he offers his credentials. It seems like he's even doing it reluctantly. He, say, he says, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm now going back into this mode where I'm having to, to say they have these credentials and I have these. And you need to use that as evidence of the choice that you need to make. But he does. And he knows that, that, that he does it carefully or cautiously because he has a bent towards arrogance. He's concerned that, he, that, that, that that pride could lead to conceit and that, and that if he is conceited, then he will be fallen and broken in sin. And so he's, he's cautious to enter in there. And in verse 7 of chapter 12, he lays it out uh, that, that this is something that, that he is very clear on. Uh, he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a, a thorn in my flesh. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. He knows it's a real threat for him. That that is a sin that Satan has tormented him with for years. For most of his life, actually. In Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 3, we have it laid out beginning in verse 4. The second half of verse 4 for us. And, and he plays it out before us in this way. Again, he's giving his credentials, but... But he's giving his credentials before he knew Jesus to show how on balance he could insert himself even in their world. But he chooses not to because he has been freed from that world and he has now life in Christ. But in Philippians 3 verse 4, the second half of the verse and following, it says this. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh... I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were the gains to me, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ. Paul is painting a picture for us here. He, he's showing us how in that season of his life. When he was perceiving himself to be righteous to the law. All it did was, was put a veil over his eyes. Scales where he could not see. He was so invested in his flesh and his capacity and his ability to be righteous on his own, that he failed to even see the need 
for the Messiah. He was so bound up in the Torah that he neglected the prophets. He was so bound up in the law that he would not listen to the prophetic word that pointed to the day when Jesus would come. So when Jesus was right there before him, in his midst, he chose to reject him. He chose to persecute all of those that, that, that aligned themselves with Jesus. He, he found the apostles that were teaching and, and he, he affirmed their beating and even their martyrdom like he did with Stephen. He pursued them out in the far reaches of the land and yet, and yet Christ sought him and freed him from his bondage to the law. You see, Paul knows that he lived in arrogance. He lived in a state where he, where he was bound to his conceited nature, where he lorded himself over others. And, and there in that space, he, he looked down upon others and he could not see Jesus for who he was because he was enslaved to the law. And so now he teaches. He teaches uh, about about arrogance and how conceited these false teachers are and he says i I could be there i I could be arrogant as well but the lord the lord uh the lord allowed for me to have this thorn in my flesh so that i would not be arrogant and then he plays it out even further in verse seven he says so i have this thorn in my flesh that this this temptation that that weighs on me and and it it just it just uh oppresses me and he says that three different times he called upon the Lord so that he would have release, full release from this oppression, from this thorn. I imagine him, as, he, as he's describing this thorn, this plague upon his life, and, and the way he reached out to the Lord uh, for relief, I, I imagine much like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew the cup that he was to take. He, he was begging God, why do I have to take this on? If it is your will, could you please remove this cup from me? And Paul, in that same way, going to God and saying, please, Lord, if it's your will, I beg you. I plead with you. Those are, those are the ways that it's described, begging and pleading. Remove it from me. But it remains. It remains. And Paul says it remains so that I will always be reminded of my weakness. So that I'll be, I'll be honest about my weakness. So I won't, uh, I won't have arrogance or pride in my own strength. But in my weakness, I will know that Jesus is strong. And lift that up for you, for the church of Corinth, for you, for the community of covenant to hear that in your weakness, you are made strong. Paul writes about this uh, another time uh, in a letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. And and so I hope uh, that you'll hear this as, as a word of instruction for the church and for what it means to, to be wise leaders He writes to Timothy this in verse 25 of chapter 2. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Leading them 
to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to his will. You see how it it places the devil in the midst of this scene for us? Have you ever thought of the devil having a will? We talk often about the will of God and wanting to align our lives and our hearts to the will of God. Have you ever thought of the will of Satan? The the will of Satan here is described in such a way as, as his will is to keep you in a trap, to have you ensnared. And what is that trap? Well, what is he lifting for us here? He's showing us that this trap that Satan has played in our lives is one that, that, that is, is going to bind us into a state of, of foolishly, ridiculously, in fact, thinking that we are not in need of grace. To to think that that we have no sin, for us to be dishonest with ourselves, for us to profess no weakness at all in ourselves. And so Paul is saying, look, that trap, that trap, uh, when when your senses are awakened from that trap, it's awakened by repentance. Not just repentance of one sin, but repentance of sin, that whenever we as As children of God, repent of our sin. The Lord God Almighty opens our eyes, awakens our senses to see all of our weaknesses. And day by day, more and more are being revealed. Our weaknesses are being revealed. And there, there in that space, as your senses are awakened, you are free from the trap, the snare of Satan. Glory to God. Glory to God that you've been set free. But it starts with being honest about your weaknesses. I've been so blessed this week because we've had just a taste of sports back in our lives. Uh, we had the draft this week. Praise God, the Dallas Cowboys had an awesome draft, right? Like, what a great draft. But, uh, but also, I don't want to stop there. Uh, a week ago, uh, we saw The Last Dance released and the Jordan documentary. So we, we might want to just a moment consider how do the greats become great? How is weakness transformed? Well, you could think about, uh, you could think about Michael Jordan in that way. He has a, a magnificent quote about what weakness can look like and how it can be transformed. He says, if you pursue or push me, excuse me, if you push me towards something you think is my weakness then I will turn that perceived weakness into a strength. I'm going, I'm going to work at my weakness. I'm going to lean into my weakness. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to avoid it. I'm not going to act like it doesn't exist. I'm going to be honest about that weakness, and I'm going to work there. And in that work, my weakness will be transformed into a strength. So there's a good word for us as Christians, and then there's a word that has to be amended and transformed so that it has gospel purpose, all right? The good news is he doesn't ignore what his weakness is. He doesn't say, you're going to push me to my weakness, and I'm going to act like it's not a weakness. I'm going to pretend like I have no weakness. He never says that, and the word of God doesn't say that either. We're not, Paul doesn't say that. We're not to live as though we have no weaknesses, 
We're to identify where we are weak, where we are vulnerable. When we repent, our eyes are open, our senses are awakened to our sin. And then we're to be honest about that sin. And in that honesty, we are affirming the freedom we have in Christ and we are receiving the freedom we have in Christ all in the same moment. But here's the the gospel translation of Michael Jordan. We, We don't work on our weaknesses to make them a strength. Come on now. We don't work on our weaknesses to make them a strength. We name our weaknesses, confess them in repentance to the Lord, and Jesus makes us strong. Paul is so clear about that. The whole gospel message is clear on that. When we repent, when we're honest about our weaknesses, we don't make ourselves strong. God Almighty, through the blood of Jesus, makes us strong. We are healed and redeemed by the work and the hand of Jesus. And so in that space, we come and we are set free and we live in our freedom. But it starts with being honest with ourselves. We name our weakness. We don't boast in our strength. We only boast in our weakness because in boasting our weakness, we boast in the strength of Jesus. That his powerful name, that his sacrificial and atoning blood was enough to make us whole. So we live in that freedom. And we don't shy away from our weakness, but we're honest about it. We're vulnerable with God and with others. It starts with naming it. So let us name it to ourselves and be honest there so that we could live as free. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come before you confessing, confessing our brokenness and our sin, our emptiness and our need, trusting in you. Trusting in your word that, 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 that is enough, that wipes us and washes us clean, that, that intercedes on our behalf. And so we enter into that space, oh God, that space of vulnerable honesty with ourselves. And then we're honest with you, oh God. Make us clean. So then in our weakness we too would be made strong. In Jesus' name, amen.